You're listening to the Video Marketing Podcast, helping you go a little more viral every day. Here's your host, Matt Johnston. Hey, everybody. Thanks for being here. Uh, excited for this because I don't think that we've ever had a show before on this show that where we've talked about influencer marketing. I'm trying to think about it. I don't think that we have. Um, I mean, over and over again, you're going to see it that UGC content, user-generated content is by far the sexiest thing out there. Um, it converts the best in social ads. And uh, it's just generally, um, if you get the right type of UGC, it very often is the ad creative that takes you to uh, an extra million or $2 in revenue if you know, know how to use it in your funnels. But getting it... That's the hard thing. Like that's the thing that people have had a hard time with. Um, so I came across Taylor Lagasay, and he's the co-founder and managing partner at an influencer marketing agency called Kinship. And what I was super interested in, Taylor, thanks for being here. Um, thanks for having me. He doesn't nail that intro. <laughs> what I was interested in is that Taylor's agency has a very unique way of getting content from influencers because any of us that have tried to do it and of course we at my agency have gotten hundreds of them um, and worked with tons of clients that have gotten them one it's hard to get good stuff two it's hard to know if you're like should i go after influencers do i care about influencers or do I want regular people who do i pay how do i get the right content and how do i get it in like a reasonable amount of time it's just such a mess and Taylor has a system for it, which I think is really cool. And I think that we can learn a lot from it. Um, so Taylor, again, thanks for being here. And I'd love for you to just tell me a little bit about how you develop, like how did you end up running an influencer marketing agency? What's your background? Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Um, and I appreciate you having me on. Uh, background wise, um, my first job was at an NFL marketing agency, actually. So very much so in the macro influencer space, representing guys like, Clay Matthews, Deshaun Foss, uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, Aaron Rodgers, people that you know require fifty thousand dollars to move a thumb to post something on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and quite honestly, it's an archaic model. What I came to find out, where there was little to no attribution, um, so spent a little bit of time there. From there, transitioned into uh, the paid media world, uh, Common Thread Collective, which was a growth agency, predominantly focused on uh, Facebook ads. Uh, Facebook and Instagram ads where everything was a tribal. So a whole new world for me um, where I built out the influence department there, went from working with a lot of macros to doing some macro work. But during my time there really realized that the main value add of influencers was content creation. Like you had alluded to great UGC, who are the best UGC creators? I mean, influencers, the people that do it on a day-to-day -day basis, putting out thumb stopping content. So working with influencers to create content, not only organically to keep an organic, you know, social buzz conversation going around brands, but repurposing their content for paid ads and using that as growth, like you had mentioned. Um, from there, we realized there was a definite system and process to work with these influencers in a way that was able to generate this quality UGC in a very cost-effective way. That idea gave birth to uh, founding Kinship two years ago. Um, and that's where we're running influencer marketing on behalf of brands uh, every day, uh, building out their communities uh, while also generating a lot of content to supplement their ad accounts and across all their marketing and distribution channels. So that's kind of the story of how we came to be and my background leading to Kinship. Cool, cool. So how did it differ when you were building or, or what did you learn 
building the influencer um, program inside of another agency and then before like bringing it, making it its own agency. What were the, yeah. what was the difference there? Great question. You know, they offered, I mean, this kind of my findings from being there and building out the influence department. They had, so the agency also offered studio shoots and studio shoots, as you know, um, can cost anywhere from, you know, typically at a minimum, conservatively like 15K to, you know, depending on the agency doing the studio shoots, it can cost upwards of 50K. Um, and that would provide, you know, five unique assets, you know, turning into like 30, 20 to 30, 40 iterations on those unique assets. And that obviously was really, really expensive. Um, and then there was also, you know, influencer agencies that weren't necessarily thinking about other influencer agencies that weren't necessarily thinking about influencers as content creators yet. It was just, you know, let's get a bunch of organic social posts. And so there was a unique, right. you know, a niche where we had the understanding of, okay, you can work with a lot of these micro influencers and get a lot more quality content or quality content. You know, it's native to the feed though, in comparison to a studio shoot and it's way less expensive. And so not only are you get these organic social posts, less expensive than the influencer agencies are, you know, quoting people to purchase, you know, their packages for organic social with influencers, but you can also have all this content to repurpose and add accounts. That's much cheaper than these studio shoots. So it was this unique, unique finding and understanding that where I felt there weren't many influencer agencies positioned to execute on this specific, you know, way to leverage and work with influencers. And so that gave birth to, again, Kinship about two years ago. It was just much cheaper, much cheaper than the studio shoots that agency was offering. And we would be able to get many more unique assets that typically outperform the studio shoot content. Cheaper because they're shooting it themselves. Less expensive, more effective. You know, it's native to the feed. You do see it like you had said at the very beginning, typically is top performing content. So if I can get it cheaper and it outperforms the other stuff, why would I even, uh, you know, I want to invest more in this. Right. Uh, it's, this is interesting because it's, it's something I get asked this a lot as somebody that runs an agency. Clients are sort of like, okay, what influencers do we get? And I'm like, none, none, none influencers. <laughs> because, because I don't know that, that actually their influence is going to turn into sales for you. But what I can tell you mm -hmm. is the content turns into sales. So if we mm -hmm. can just get regular people you know, I mean, my, my book is called producing empathy because I believe that empathy is the reason why anyone does anything online. So at the end of the day, in our content, we just want to see human beings that we can empathize with doing stuff that we see ourselves potentially doing, solving a problem that we need solved. Um, basically, uh, being the after state of the problem that we may have. And that's where the marketing comes in. So that's what I always say. I always say, well, we just need to see real people that are like, that are like our customers doing stuff and talking about how great it is or whatever it is. I don't think that their influence necessarily, like their organic audience is necessarily what's gonna move the needle. I think it's more about the video. Is that sort of 100%. where you are? 100%, um, we tell everybody, very much so upfront because everyone cares about immediate return, ROI. Um, and there's, which, influencer marketing definitely lends itself to, but we're very transparent in saying, hey, their organic distribution is not the value add here. It's the cherry on top. It's right. the gravy. If you generate any sales from the organic posts, good for you. Awesome. You found a warm audience. 
ideally they continue to post about you. But the main value add here is identifying influencers that are phenomenal content creators, people that can create great video content, thumb stopping content, you know, can are charismatic, can hit your value adds as a brand. They're a great representation of who you are and what is the most important like lens to look through. Can they sell your product? That's what you need to figure out and identify because um, those are the people you want to work with because those are the people that are going to be repurposed as ads and sell on behalf of your product or service. Cool. So, so I'm and that super goes, interested. That goes into the filter, yeah. you know, that's, that's the number one thing we're looking at. Obviously they need to be a brand fit for the brands that we're partnering them up with like persona wise, everything that they embody that we talk about the captured audience that they have. But the number one filter we're looking through is can these people sell your product to the video content that they're constantly creating in the same way they build an organic following through their video content, we want to be able to do that on behalf of your brand to sell your products. This is so interesting. And, and I love what you're doing because, and I totally like resonate with what you've built because I tried to build something similar and failed. So we, about a year ago, I had this uh, business idea to create this thing called Vesta Media. And actually it's still a thing and it's great. I, I created a media brand on innovative products we have like 15 Shark Tank clients. That's what we do is like innovative e-commerce products. Um, and awesome. so I created this media brand, but part of the deal with the program is that we were going to go get testimonial type content for clients because nobody had them. Um, so we're still doing the media brand part and that's great. So we have this third party platform that we can plug our clients into for that social proof. It's like PR built in. But what we could not get down at the time was a, a repeatable system for getting basically this UGC content. It was hard to find Got people, it. hard to get people to do anything in any amount of time that made any sense, um, hard to incentivize them, uh, et cetera. And it just turned into a logistical nightmare to the point where we just like, we're, we're just like, this is not, this, this can't be a product right now because we can't do it. But what's right. interesting is the way that, you know, when I heard the way that your program runs, I was thinking to myself, okay, well, this is a completely different psychological process with micro influencers um, than, than, than I was thinking about at the time. So I'd love for you to just sort of take us through, take us through that ideology. Yeah. 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 Well, you, you nailed kind of transitioning this as well. It's all built on giving the influencers we're partnering up with. This is a world that, you know, influencers have been exploited, trying to be taken advantage of. Um, so we're trying to transition the narrative from being a transactional marketplace into a very relational one, one that's built and starting the relationship on giving, not asking. So what do I mean by that? So the foundations of a, an influencer program, we believe is completely built on something we call seeding. For those of you that don't know what influencer seeding is, it's just you're planting a seed. The idea of planting a seed for a long-term partnership relationship with an influencer that would ultimately serve you know your brand incredibly well over the course of time and there is immediate return but how this works again the brands that we're partnering up with we typically identify and reach out to a minimum of 300 influencers obviously and i'll break down how this works out and what we're sending them we send each of them a message um, that basically says hey you know we're so and so brand just typically like one line and this is over dm or email uh, that embodies who you are as a brand. And then you just tell the influencer, we think you're a great brand fit. Uh, you, we think you'd absolutely love our product. We want to send it to you. No strings attached. Throw that thing in all caps. No strings attached. You're just uniquely positioning your brand 
much different than any other that's reaching out to them. And then just say, hey, send me your address and we'll send this right out to you. And so again, these influencers are typically used to brands reaching out to them saying, hey, we'll send you this product if you post a story in exchange for a story or you know, we'll compensate you X amount for a story or a post or whatever it may be, or for content creation. So they immediately put their negotiation cap on and you're on opposite sides of the table. So you alluded to this being a psychological thing, 100%. You guys aren't on the same team yet. You guys are coming to an agreement together, having a discussion from opposite ends of the table. By seeding them your product and starting that relationship on giving, we think you're a great brand fit. We just want to send you our product. We think you love it. You're coming over to their side and just showing them some love. And so you're automatically starting the relationship on the right foot together. From that 300 reach outs, we see about on average, 100 people opt into receiving product. So from those 100 people that receive the product, again, we told them no strings attached. We're not checking in with them. 30 to 50 on average have posted. Like that's crazy. 30 to 50 people. You're not posted. doing any follow-up. They're just, they're just doing it. Once they post. So we have a platform. So for influencer identification real quick, I want to give you the entire blueprint. We use what's called a platform called Tagger. Um, it's very similar to Grin's capabilities for those of you that are familiar with the space for identification purposes, very robust um, in its ability to identify people based on audience, persona, et cetera. Once they post those 30 to 50, we have a tool called Mighty Scout that we use internally as well mm. that basically aggregates all the organic analytics in real time. So you don't need to have somebody on your team, you know, look at all the social media accounts of the influencers that you sent out product to all 100 of those 24 seven Mighty Scout basically obtains and collects all of that content in real time, aggregates the organic analytics. The biggest value at of Mighty Scout is I can download each piece of content posted right there. So all the video content that they posted organically and in the, the ways that they interact with the products as individuals. So you get in a, such a variety of people interacting with your product in different ways, highlighting different value adds. So you're getting a very diverse set of content to then repurpose in your ad accounts. So once they post, we're following up with them over DM, over email saying, that's where we follow up with them again, where we're saying, hey, we're so glad you loved our product so much so that you were willing to share it with your audience. We would love to share this content with our audiences as well. Can we have the rights to do so? So you're following up for usage rights to make sure legality wise, you're, you know, you're in the right. You don't wanna play that mm. game. Um, there's been a lot of issues in that. And again, we're reaching out to micro influencers. Predominantly, this is the main value add. When you're working with macros, mid tiers, there's a lot of agents that get involved. There's a lot of management that gets involved that would never just give away licensing rights or usage rights to content free of cost. They want their cut. That's their livelihood. These micro influencers, you've built the relationship in the right way. They don't have the negotiation cap on. You're on their team. You've loved up on them. I'm telling you, man, majority of the time, these guys just give it out. And I would say 100% of the time, but I don't want to promise that. But a lot of the time, these guys are just giving out the usage rights free of cost right there and then in that follow-up. Um, and there's just greater opt-in as well. That's why we use micros, like response rate from the jump. I take 10 micros over one macro any day of the week, just greater engagement, greater reach, greater content amount. You get 10 assets instead of one. And again, usage rights typically are given out free of cost. So that's the process A to Z of seeding. Um, and we try to do that, at, I mean, at least three months on behalf of the brands that we're partnering up with. But we would recommend figuring out, you know, the cogs of your product obviously um, determines how many products you can send out 
for free on a month-to-month basis. But I would identify that number for your brand, reach out to you know three to four times that amount um, because you're ultimately going to get one third of those people opting in to receive product each month, and just watch watch it work for your brand and watch the amount of content that comes in for you to repurpose and use across all your other marketing channels. That was so long-winded, long-winded, but I wanted to give the full blueprint of that process. We have follow-up steps after seeding programs that I'm sure we'll get into, um, but wanted to stop there. Uh, if any questions. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You. That's good. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of things. Um, first, I'm glad that you touched on the, I was wondering, I, I don't think um, wherever I've seen, where, where, wherever I originally found you, I don't think that I heard about the sort of rights thing. That was one thing I was wondering, like, are we just taking them? But no, it seems like you obviously do go and ask them for rights, but since they're micro influencers. So that leads me back to the question at the beginning, how do we choose who to go after? Yeah. So again, with all the influencers that we're identifying on behalf of brands, again, we're making sure that the brand fit. We're making sure they embody everything the brand wants in a flag bearer of you know their product or service that they're promoting. But the main thing that our team is looking at and the influencers we're reaching out to is what type of content are they putting out? And so mm. the question we need to answer is, are they putting out a lot of video content? Are they most likely to post a video and that's a quality video that we want as UGC, that's native to the feed, speaking to your product or service. That is the number one filter we're looking through. So how do we do that? We're looking at IG highlights when we're going onto their page. We're looking at their YouTube channels. We're looking at their TikToks. What kind of video content are they able to create? Um, and so once we get the product in their hands, we'll have a better understanding and a more likely chance to get content that is usable to be repurposed as ads. So... Let's break it down a little bit more creative wise. What are those elements that you're looking for? Obviously presentation, like are they good at talking to the camera and all this stuff, but but what what else is it like you're that you're seeing? Like what that that would say, oh, this person will make good content. Yeah. I mean, quite honestly, how well they can deliver and communicate. That is the number one thing. Are they charismatic? Kind of like I had mentioned. Can they speak to value ads? Are they thumb stopping? Can they captivate my attention in the initial three seconds of a video? These are all like check boxes we're trying to highlight um, mm. and check off. So, I mean, if they can do all those things, those things are priority. But I mean, the type of video content we get, since you're seeding so many, um, 100 products out and you're getting 30 to 50 assets, you're gonna get the unboxings. You're gonna get the testimonials. You're gonna get the use case videos. You're gonna get the entire gamut of, the types of UGC you'd want from people that can deliver that content incredibly well through the ways that they're communicating. So you're going to get a diverse set of all types of UGC through these 30 to 50 assets, plug it into your distribution channels, see what works best. Let's go get more of that. I want to finish up talking about the process a little bit, but I'm also curious about if you have seen any of your clients or when you were directly in an agency, how you saw you know, if you felt the need to sort of edit this content up at all at the end and everything like that, I'm kind of interested great, in that. Great question. Please continue to ask questions like that because there are just details and process around all of that. So when we download all this content from Mighty Scout, we're reformatting it nine by 16, one by one, we're captioning it. If the, you know, the brands want to send like a certain specific font type, we get that involved too. Or if you have a font type to do this internally, obviously put that on there, but that's all we recommend. Just get it in the proper placements for Facebook advertising, caption it. It performs raw much better 
if you were to put some graphic overlay text, like that's that's the value add of UGC, right? It's native to the feed. So you want to keep it as organic as possible. Um, you bake you the captions in, like you bake them in, the captions? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we caption all of them and get that on there. Uh, obviously you want to do that. 90% of people aren't listening with sound on mm. you know, ad platforms. So just getting that on there. But I would test that first. If you don't have a team of graphic design, like, if you do like create iterations, test against one another, that's the name of the game, of course, but I would recommend, and what we've seen is the raw asset itself performs much better. We create iterations in like where the video starts. So if like we have a 60 second testimonial, yeah. we'll create a 60 second, a 50 second, a 30 second, a 15, like we'll start it at different spots. Cause obviously, as you know, the first three seconds is the most important piece of the video. So we want it to try and test those sorts of iterations, but in terms of putting like a bunch of graphics on it, making it more addy. We typically steer clear from it. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things that I was wondering because a lot of these influencer videos are going to start out with, hey guys, it's me, Samantha, here with you again. Just got back from yeah. taking my dog to the vet and hanging out. I trim that out. I trim that here. out. Yeah, so that's gone, yeah, right? I trim that out. <laughs> yeah, I, I always trim that out. That's a great point. And that's definitely worth mentioning because that first, three seconds is the most important. Right, right, right. Uh, okay, so uh, so I'm sending off 300 of these. I'm getting a third of those people responding back and being like, yeah, send me a product. And you're saying that you're looking at uh, about 50, 40 to 50% of those turn into actual content creators? 30 to 50 on average, yeah. And so you, and that that's a great, so that step the process how likely they are to post, you want to make it an experience for them. So what you're sending out, don't send it in like an envelope or, you know, just like uh, one of those mm. yellow packages. Like you want to seed them product that lends itself to them posting most likely. So influencers, when they receive a product are most likely to post it within one to two days of receiving that product. And how do you make, you want to make it as likely for them to talk about it, share it, brag about it as possible. So creating an unboxing experience, if you're able to financially, is really important. This is your first, you already made a great first impression by messaging them, showing them love. This follow-up impression of your product being delivered to them and touching their hands for the first time is a huge touch point. So what are your you can, specific tips there? Specific like tips, cards, handwritten tips. notes, like what do you think? I mean, as much as you're willing to do and have the time for at a at a bare minimum, I would just recommend don't send it in just like the average package that you're sending everyone else. Um, yeah. If you do FedEx have a great envelope, unboxing, you rip open. right, exactly. Yeah. Like, don't do that. So, I mean, all star, you know, the Hall of Fame here, you have an unboxing experience. It's beautiful. It doesn't need to be like confetti or anything. It can be simple and just, you know, clean. Um, handwritten card if you can, if you have, again, the resources. I know this is mass seating, but just a card as well, a seating card that talks about who you guys are as a brand, you know, pointing it and making it directed at them, trying to make that unique individual feel special mm -hmm. as much as possible. And don't like throw value ads in a very like direct way that says like, Hey, if you're going to post about us, like say these things, like, don't do that. Make <laughs> Here's sure an example, that, Instagram caption. If you did decide to post, right? Like, you don't yeah, want to do that. Don't, don't allude to anything about <laughs> them posting. Um, like, sure. Throw like your socials on there, but that's it. And just talk about who you guys are. And by talking about who you are, 
you're indirectly giving them value adds potentially highlight. And so, yeah, that's one way to like inception, give them things to talk about if they were to post about you. And these people want to brag about products that are being sent to them. Their audience doesn't know if they're getting, you know, paid for it or not. And at the end of the day, they feel psychologically like they owe you. You've seeded them this free of cost. You start the relationship the right way. And so what's fascinating about this is the sort of math breakdown is super interesting because a lot of it is labor. I mean, like this isn't super, doesn't have to be super expensive. Like it's, it's, it's obviously a lot of work to reach out to 300 mm -hmm. people. And it's a lot of work to, well, to, to, you have to get mighty scout and tagger and all these things that you use. But at the end of the day, your actual like cost is your cost of goods sold and your shipping costs. So you might, you might That's be it. talking about what eight to $11 on average per product you send out maybe less. And so we're right. really talking about what? like maybe a thousand bucks in actual costs to actually like just depends on your yeah, depends on your cogs and think about it 30 to 50 posts man yep. you go to any influencer agency micro influencers if yeah, you have 30 to 50 yeah. you're paying 15k minimum and i think we can all agree that's a minimum concern 30 to 50 influencers posting for your brand i would say conservatively that's 30k and so that's compare that again. And that's no usage rights to that content either. That's just posts. Like, so you have that and then you have a studio shoot for 30 to 50 unique assets. Like, what does that cost? Let's add that together. That's your typical costs here. I'm, I'm thinking 30K for, you know, the organic side of things, probably another 10 to 20K for the assets from a content studio shoot. I think those are both conservative numbers. We're looking at 50K for usage rights and the posts. This is just your cogs and your shipping, like you had mentioned, a thousand bucks to 10,000 bucks. And you're, you're not, you're getting people that are actually authentic lovers of your brand. These are people that posted and gave you content that you didn't ask them to do that. So they are people you've identified as people that genuinely love your product and wanted to share it with their audience. And that's the name of the game. People, I know it's the most oversaturated, redundant word in the space. If anybody's listened to influencer marketing, authenticity, but it's so true. Like you need to find people that are authentic, you know, brand adopters, product adopters, and that love your stuff and who you guys are. Um, because those are the people that are going to be talking about you. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's based on the whole system's based on, you know, just one of the basic ideas of, for lack of a better word, persuasion, reciprocity. I mean, it's just based on reciprocity, right? So uh, and you know, this is, this is there, there are other agencies out there that are finding influencers for you, which is similar to what I was talking about trying to do at one point as well. Uh, but then it's just completely, it's a completely different psychological dynamic because instead of me trying to force someone to post about something, um, which autumn, which feels very, a lot of times what you get back is like, feels unethical. You know, like, uh, like, like it'll just, it'll feel like, oh, like I tried this product that I clearly did not have enough time to try or care about, but I'm posting right. this because I'm getting paid to post this basically, rather than uh, just having yeah. somebody who genuinely has that enthusiasm because it's their decision ultimately to post or not. And they feel right. somewhat indebted to you because of getting all this free stuff sent. One of the biggest value adds of the seating program is you're identifying people that are genuinely interested and love your product. And that's the per the main reason they were willing to share with their audience. There's something they're proud of, something they're willing to stand on, a flag bearer. They're becoming that for you guys. So 
from that, you're able to get this genuine sense of building a community with influencers around your brand in comparison to quite honestly, we call the pay for post transaction model like prostitution. Um, these like one night stands and they're just one offs. You're not building genuine relationship at all. It's completely transactional. And like you had mentioned, a lot of the time, these people don't even use the product or, or wear it or, you know, consume it if it's a, a something that they're able to di like a digestible. When you start the relationship in a transactional way that's what i mean by the way when they don't use it when you start in a way that's a pay for post model or pay for content model you're starting that relationship in a completely different dynamic that doesn't lend itself to them becoming a part of a genuine community and adopting your product we've seen that time and time again do you have any tools that you use in the very first step to identify the folks that you want to look at their con i mean it's still hundreds of people's content to look through is still like it's a big task or do you, do you, are you just for looking sure. through Instagram hashtags or do you have other tools you use? So we use a platform called Tagger for that, which is a oh, search engine. Oh, that's what Tagger uh, is. I see. Uh -huh. It's an influencer search engine identification platform that we use. Um, it's a little bit of a cost, um, quite honestly. But, and if you don't have, and it's about like 3K a month. So, but if you don't have that, um, I would recommend uh, getting on Facebook's new identification tool for influencers. It's called Brand Collabs Manager. Just look that up. It's going to be free of cost. It's in the beta phase right now. Um, we're slightly working with them as that rolls out. Um, but it's very early on. It's not as robust as Tagger. And that's why we still, as a business, use Tagger. Um, but obviously, as we all know, Facebook has more data than any company in the world. And so building out, if they're going to do this, building out an identification platform tool, um, it'll be an incredible, an incredible one. And again, they're offering it free of cost. So why not get on there at the end of the day? Instead of like you had mentioned, looking up hashtags and you know manually doing this one by one, um, you're able to like search people by location, their persona types, characteristics. Does it, it pull has in enough... all the, does it pull in across TikTok as well? No, just Facebook and Instagram as of right now. Hmm. Um, and I'm assuming it'll probably remain the same, but Instagram is enough. I will say that Instagram is enough. And then from there, you can see if they have TikToks. But again, the main thing is, are they a brand fit? You'll be able to see that from their Instagram. Can they create great video content? You'll be able to see that from their Instagram. Mm. Okay. So if you, if you can afford a, a more robust system, I would recommend it. Like Tagger has all the social media platforms on there. But again, it's just a recommendation that's free of cost. That's probably more efficient than looking these things up manually one by one. Right. Yeah. I mean, it depends on who you are. I mean, if you're an agency like you and it's your whole business, then it makes a ton of sense. Or if we decided to adopt it, it would make sense because we could serve all clients with it. For one individual right. business, you'd have probably to get more value out of it. Uh, but yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay. So we've got, so we've seeded the content, we've thrown it out to, and, and have, have you seen the percentages sort of like, do we really need to go for 300 at the beginning? Or like, like if we started with a hundred, we're probably not going to get a third, right? at that point or what do you think no that's typically what we see a third opt-in mm -hmm. receiving product because some brands are going to say is there a posting. like a minimum viable way to do this that is a little bit easier to dip my toes in i'm guessing for sure for sure and i mean it, that's just like typically our minimums of what we're reaching out to um, and just depend it all depends as well like how much are you spending in paid media like the more you're spending in paid media, the quicker yeah. creative fatigue sets in, the more you know content that you need supplemented in there on an ongoing basis. So that's also at play here, but it all comes down to how many products are you able to seed per month? How much can you afford? Identify that for yourself 
And once you have that number, multiply that by three to four, and that's how many influencers you should reach out to on a month to month basis. Um, yeah, don't, don't go off like our minimums as a company. Do this internally, figure out how many you can seed out on a month to month basis and just do that. Um, and as it grows, just do more and more and more. It's only going to lend itself, you know, as you scale out that, you know, your paid media dollars will increase on a month to month basis. So you're going to need more content. So you should send out more product to more people. And you're just going to see that organic social buzz. You're going to go from 30 to 50 posts. These people do just post once free of cost. Like, so you're going to get 30 to 50, like new influencers posting about you each month, but it's a compounding thing where you're getting 30 to 50 posts. Now you're getting 40 to 60. 50 to 70, 60 to 80, because there's repeat people posting and talking about your brand and the people that they influence. And it's just like everyday people. Now they're posting UGC content, which as we all know, like there's plenty of everyday people that can create great UGC. Influencers are definitely more likely to create much better content because it's their day-to-day job. But there are people that are just everyday people that can create great content as well. That's uh, able to be repurposed. And that's also pulled from Mighty Scout. So it just leads to much, much more, depending on how much you can afford to send out, depending on how much content you need. That's kind of where you can identify and calculate how many you should send out and reach out to. And, you know, it ends up having this, sounds like it ends up having sort of a, a, a PR effect over time. I mean, maybe the first time that you do it, it's mostly like that content generation, but if you can keep compounding it, it just ends up leading to a lot of, uh, a lot of extra buzz. And then of course, there's a lot of it probably at some point leads to like a pretty decent amount of organic traffic to your website that you can retarget from, you know, that you're paying for, but not really. 100%. I mean, we just launched this brand um, called uh, Animal House Fitness. It's a a product called Monkey Feet. It's like a new patent technology. It, It like straps onto your foot and attaches to a dumbbell and their entire business has just built, been built on seating and paid media but their organic social it's already at like 20K and they're not doing any like paid ads to grow their following per se. Sure, they're running paid media and people can not only just click shop now and they can click the page and go follow them, but seating and all these posts, they're getting like at least 10 to 15, like 10 posts a day at this point from influencers and just regular everyday people that they're resharing on their stories now. And all that is, is people talking about it to people that don't necessarily follow them yet, going to follow them, building that organic, and then from there, obviously going to the website. So 100%, that's growing every day. So interesting. And what about the way that you'll use it here? I mean, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how plugged in you are, but I'm betting you are on the actual way that you're using this stuff inside of a funnel. Um, where are you seeing this content work best? How are you seeing it work best within a paid media yeah. strategy? Yeah, so we, we actually run paid media as well um, for the brands that need that service. We come along plenty of paid media agencies as well um, and just deliver content to them. Our main product offering is seeding. Um, but if the brand needs that, we'll also run paid media. It's for mm-hmm. like the account that I just uh, suggested and other accounts, we've seen like at the top of the funnel, very educational yet entertaining style of content work best. So what do I mean by that? You want content that's making it very clear in an educational way, what your product is. Obviously, it's your first touch point, top of the funnel. So you want to make sure that they're speaking to what makes your product within this marketplace different than the others and what are they buying. So you have testimonials here. 
you have use case videos showing it in like its functionality. What does it do? Um, things of that nature uh, or unboxing experiences, just making sure it's like front and center showing the product people. It's very clear what it is. Um, and then influencers kind of check the box of entertaining and the way they're able to like communicate and create content in itself to do that very, very well at the second touch point of the funnel. And this is where like after seeding and you identify the top content creators, um, you can basically source content in a way where you provide them a creative brief, give them scenes to do. If you want like a more structured approach to it, once you've identified the top people, at the, re the second touch point, you typically want to offer them some sort of deal. So that could be a sale discount, something to re-engage them with. At the third touch point of the funnel, people that are speaking about your brand, brand ethos. So in the seating card, you talk about who you are as a brand, um, what you guys are all about and body. So people that end up talking about that piece, the third touch point of the funnel has proven to work with that style of content. And then at the last touch point of the funnel, um, people that checked out, added to cart, initiate checkout, typically you just run that catalog there, right? But we've also seen success of running um, like a collection style ad where the catalog is still at the bottom of it, but you have a testimonial video on top of it again. So it's like that last touch point, people just need a little bit more. And then you're serving, you know, still the catalog dynamically. So they're getting the products that, you know, they went to the, those specific product pages and checked out. Mm. And you're just giving them one more piece of content that's saying, hey, this is how I interact with this product. This is why I bought it. This is why I believe in it. And so you're just giving that last touch point from somebody that they trust as an influencer um, to get them to convert. So that's how we think about which type of content we've seen typically work best um, at each level of the funnel. But at the end of the day, I would recommend running all of that content at every level of the funnel and figure out for yourself where it works best. Because obviously ad accounts and brands and products and services are all unique cases. And so you do want to, and it's all about creative testing. So figure out at each step of the funnel, which type of content works best as you implement this for the first time. And then again, just scale what's working, get more of that for that step of the funnel. But yeah. overall, I know that's a long-winded answer, but huh. wanted to give you everything. Well, a lot of people have like a lot of brands, agencies, whatever. I mean, we're in this bucket right now a lot. Um, there's just not, I mean, you know, it's not like we have an abundance of UGC content. So we're kind of very carefully thinking about like, where does this work? I mean, should we, should we be using this largely at the bottom of the funnel, et cetera? Uh, I think with you, if you're sitting here and you're, you're mostly running ads for brands where you have 30 pieces of UGC content sitting out there, I assume you're just using it everywhere. And then it's Using just it about the nature of that content. Uh, right. I suppose when, when it's on the more educational side of things, um, using it towards the top and at the bottom, people are probably going to want to see more hands-on use cases, unboxing, like what will it look like in my hands type stuff, I guess. And that will just come. Yeah. But again, on, I'm just giving you like the overall you know, best practice that we've seen that the type of content that works each step, but every account that we like either consult on, come alongside or actually run, I'm running all of it at every step, figuring out with this unique, you know, case, which type of content works best at every level of the funnel. Um, and I always use, you know, UGC at every level, um, but we're figuring out which type of UGC works best. And then again, just scale those efforts um, from there. But like with this Animal House fitness brand that I just alluded to, their entire account is just 30 to 50 like, you, like unique creatives being implemented every two weeks 
And it's just all UGC. There's not any other types of creative in there because they haven't invested anything else, studio shoots wise or you know anything of that nature to supplement their ad account. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I would recommend that. That's not my recommendation, by the way. I'm not standing on that. Only get UGC. It has proven to work to scale ad account efforts on an ongoing basis. But I would recommend a diverse portfolio of content where you know you do have studio shoot content in there as well. Um, but I would definitely always recommend making sure you have a pipeline of UGC uh, supplement that ad account alongside your the rest of your creative as well. So to just sort of recap here, if 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 we're a brand or an agency working for somebody and we just want to try this out. Um, what was, what, what would be like, so the, sort of the minimum viable way to be like, okay, I want to try this thing, Taylor, tell me how to start. You would start where? Yeah. Uh, well, I would start with your cogs, figure out how much you can afford where you're as a brand completely determines that if you're a $10 million brand, a $30 million brand, a $1 million brand, you're just launching obviously cogs and shipping. You need to take that into account. So figure out that number. From there, I'd reach out to three to four times that amount of influencers um, to ultimately get that amount of product out into the hands of these people. Um, at a minimum, I would get Mighty Scout. Uh, the platforms that I would get at a minimum is, again, Brands Clouds Manager for identification. Mm. And I would get Mighty Scout as well. But Mighty Scout is so inexpensive. To run a campaign on Mighty Scout, it's like $1.50 to $2 per influencer you plug in. And you're only plugging in the influencers that opt in to receiving product. And so like, say you sent out a hundred, you know, products, it's going to be 200 bucks tops for that campaign on the month. So super inexpensive and very much so worth your time. I mean, the amount of time that you need to spend collecting all this content, following up with them to actually have them send it to you to then repurpose and use it's way surpasses the $200 amount. So I'd get that at a minimum. And then again, get all this content reformat at nine by 16, one by one caption it. That's the minimum. Test it with different iterations, cutting up at different timestamps, get it in your ad account and see how it scales and competes against the other creative you have. And don't get too crazy, right? I mean, I don't think you even, do, do, do you put like the, the headlines on them at all or do you mostly just stick to the captions so it feels organic? Only captions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to keep it as organic as possible. I mean, if you want to get crazy after that, I would test this first. Again, it's all it's all creative. Like I, I'm not a guru. I'm not a believer in the guru tactical buying of Facebook paid media. I'm a big believer in the machine learning uh, system that they have and leaning into them for. Obviously, you need to be able to like build a structured funnel, but leaning into their system to really find the low hanging fruit and the lowest, you know, cheapest conversions is something we're big believers in. And the main thing is creative and getting as much of it in there as possible uh, and with as much creative iterations on it. So. I would start with the raw pieces of content with different time iterations, but then from there, yeah, if you want to test, you know, with graphic design on it, headlines on it, 100% do it if you have the resources to do so. Um, but we've just seen this one outperform that one. And was it, I, I feel like I came across some sort of Shopify solution to make this all easier to send stuff out. Do you know anything about that? Oh, wow. You just teed up our own, our own Shopify app. I love it. What I know I did. I did it on purpose. See, I know. God, well, you're a quality gent, man. Yeah. So we have a, a seating app uh, called the Kinship seating app on the Shopify uh, marketplace. And basically if you have a Shopify store and the brands that we service, or if you just wanted to do this internally and use it, it's super inexpensive. Um, basically it, you can just zero out the orders. And so when we service brands or our partners, basically on our end, we're able to connect your Shopify store 
We're not sending you all these addresses of 100 people to send product out to. We can go in on the app and just zero out the order and have it sent out. And then it comes in as like a hashtag kinship on that order, knowing on your end that it was an influencer order. So instead of like manually doing one order at a time, you can just do it at scale. That's what the apps kind of value at. It's very simple, um, very straightforward in that way. It solves that one problem of instead of manually zeroing out a ton of orders, you can just do it all at once. It is a mess. I mean, you know, I terrible. All of our clients it are saves on a Shopify. ton of time. It's, it's a mess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it yeah, saves a it saves a ton a ton of time. So if you were to do it internally, it would save you a ton of time. If we were to work with any brand, um, we just do it on your behalf at that point. So just send you addresses to send that product out. Yeah, very convenient. Appreciate that. I wasn't going to even talk about it. I love it. Well, there you go. Cool, man. Where where can we find out more about uh, more about kinship? More about you? Yeah, kinship.co. Um, I would also probably follow my partner and I on Twitter. We're constantly putting out new content. Um, just Taylor Lagasse. You'll be able to find me, my partner, Cody Wittick. Uh, you'll be able to find him, but consistently every week putting out threads, basically on a lot of the things we just talked about, maybe in a little bit more nitty gritty fashion, giving you tips and tricks um, and just kind of the process of how to implement this internally. Um, we just want to make sure you're first at bat. That's kind of why we put out so much content about influencer marketing. If you're going to take your first at bat at influencer, we want to make sure it's a win because so many people do it wrong. Um, and then they just X out the channel altogether when there is so much success to be had here. Um, and we want you to get in on it. Yeah. I'm excited for this podcast to hopefully some of you out there conquer your, um, some of your potential beliefs about what influencer content is and needs to be. Because at the end of the day, it is content and content moves mountains. Um, getting that content though uh, has always been the tough thing. And that's where, that's where Taylor and his team comes in. Thank you so much for being here. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate the time. Thanks for having me.